Hey guys, this is Sean. This is part two of our joint podcast episode on the topic of will Catholics ever come back to mass, where we talk about the coronavirus pandemic and the dwindling mass attendance numbers. In the second part, we kind of talk about the recovery and we solve all of the church's problems. Just kidding. But we do talk about what we think might be helpful for people as the pandemic comes to a close and how we can try to evangelize. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. I'm Lorenz Zaragoza, and welcome to part two of so far what's been an extremely eye-opening and frankly alarming discussion based around the question, will Catholics ever return to church? Uh, If you haven't had the chance, take a listen to part one, where we dive into and discuss the drastic decrease in mass attendance throughout the country. Uh, We talked about how how we may have gotten to this point and what that inevitably might mean for the church in the future. Uh, Just like last episode, we've got three different podcast crews here to talk about what we think needs to be done uh, to maybe stop the bleeding here. Uh, You guys, we have the guys from God and Country, Joe Ciora and Jordan Bernhardi. Uh, You got myself and Sean Greeley from Just a Parishioner. And also with us, we've got Mike Griffin and Father Brian Barr from the Beach Catholic Podcast. Uh, Once again, if you haven't listened to part one, it's available on our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, so gents, we've been talking a lot about what the landscape looks like and what it may look like in the near future. If we don't take any action, uh, we'll be talking about what we feel the action should look like. And after we fix all the church's problems in 30 minutes, we're going to be answering questions from our audience tonight. Um, if you in the audience, if you have a question, you can text that question into 516-715-7351. Once again, the number is 516-715-7351. We might not get to all the questions tonight, but I'll say that if there are any questions that are lingering out there, uh, we can do another Q&A podcast. Um, So just a thought to that point, if you're listening to the podcast and you have a question, you can also text to that number. One more time, it's 516-715-7351 because I would love to answer those questions on another night. Um, you could also send us an email at weareparishioners at gmail.com or connect with us on social media on Instagram at just a parishioner or at beach Catholic. You could find us on facebook.com slash just a parishioner or beachcatholic.com. So again, last discussion, we blamed every single level guys as to why the church attendance has been declining um, from the individuals to leadership. So let's talk about things that need to be done to help. Um, I'm actually going to kick it to Father Brian and uh, Mike first. Um, There's always talks about uh, evangelization. And when you hear that word, you think about people handing out flyers on the street corner. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not trying to take away from the beauty of that at all, but how do we go about evangelizing? I'm trying to think of a better phrase, but I can't. But how do we go about evangelizing maybe the Catholics that we spoke about in last episode who I would say, quote unquote, lukewarm Catholics or Catholics who may not believe in the most important thing, the true presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Um, so Mike, how would you, uh, what would your response be to that in regards to evangelizing within our community? Yeah, I think there's, um, there's kind of two approaches and uh, two things where that can the ownership lies on. I think one is on the church specifically, what can the church do to pull people in and to evangelize from within the church and uh, pull people from outside the church? Um, and to be honest, looking at it from like uh, 
a DRE perspective, um, you know, religious ed over the last 50 years has probably been like the most fruitless endeavor the church has had over that time period. Um, when you just hear the stories of people, you know, they would go after school, after a whole day of school and sit in the classroom for an hour with a teacher who didn't have any theology background, wasn't a teacher, who just volunteered out of the kindness of their heart to be there. Um, and the kids were tough to handle and they would graduate, or I'm, I'm saying graduate because that's what they would say, they would be confirmed and leave the faith because they didn't get so much out of the program. Um, but the flip side of that is, okay, so the church did the best they could with the religious ed program. The flip side of that is, you know, from the families and the parents that they're coming from, um, it's not just the church's job to teach the faith. Um, the primary catechists, the primary teachers of the faith are the parents. Um, and this is something that we've been trying to do down here with our religious ed program is trying to engage the parents more in the, in the program. Um, and I don't think it's just the parents don't want to teach their kids. Um, I think part of it could be that they don't have the time for it or I think the biggest part is they, they don't know, they don't have the tools, they don't know how to spread the faith, teach the faith to their kids because they missed out on it in their own, um, in their own experience of CCD and when they learned the faith. So I think it, it kind of is like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but I think it's a combination of both. The church needs to do a better job in terms of uh, the programs that it offers, not just for kids, but also in terms of adult faith formation. And families uh, need to take ownership as well and can't just lean on the church and expect that the church will instill a faith in their child if they aren't doing them themselves. Yeah, I think, uh, sorry. I think um, the whole, yeah, like teaching the teachers, um, you know, the church teaches that the primary uh, educators or teachers in the lives of kids um, or parents. It's not the Pope. It's not the pastor. It's not the director of religious ed or the religion teacher. It's mom and dad. Um, like if it's not important to them, you know, Jesus could be showing up for religious ed classes and teaching a bunch of sixth graders. I don't think it's going to do a lot if mom and dad are not on board. So, you know, part of what we, we've uh, kind of a shift in focus. I think the last year or two has been, yeah, we got it. We got to find ways of, of inspiring, uh, kind of empowering parents, like teach the teachers, give them, you know, help them. They probably know more than they think they do, but I think you're right, Mike, they're kind of intimidated. You know, how do I talk about something that I'm not even, you know, how do I tell somebody, uh, you know, get in shape and work out if, if I don't work out and I don't go to the gym, there's like a sense of, I'm just not qualified to do this. And on one level, that's true. But on another level, it doesn't take, they can become qualified, uh, if there's a willingness. I think the other thing, um, uh, is just becoming smaller. Like we, I think we, we said that toward the end of the, the previous episode, but, um, you know, COVID, made the church smaller. It was imposed on us, like we kind of had to do it. I mean, Mike, what you should say a little something about, uh, if it's okay, like the experience of, uh, you know, religious ed, uh, you know, we gave kids the option with COVID, they could, they could do an online program, or they could still come in uh, in person. And uh, talk about just the, 
the experience of the, the small, smaller group of kids that came in person? Yeah, so we offered seventh and eighth graders uh, the confirmation years. They could either do the online program, which is completely online, they do not meet in person, or they could choose the in-person option where we meet on Sunday nights, they go to the 6 p.m. mass uh, with their families, and then they stay with us for about an hour afterwards. Um, and the numbers were a little, little worrisome, like we only had, we probably have about um, close to 100 uh, of those uh, seventh and eighth graders, and I think about 16 signed up for the in-person. Um, but it's kind of like Pope Benedict's quote from the end of that article is, it has been an amazing year with these 16 kids who we've been able to really target. They want to be there. Their families really want them there. Um, we end with like 25 minutes of Eucharistic adoration every week. And that's something that we would never have done with, you know, 150 kids there every single week. Uh, kids who didn't really want to be there. Um, they were being forced to go. Uh, they didn't understand why they were there. Um, and behavior issues that could come out of that as well. This year, it's been 16 kids. They've showed up really just about every single week we've met. And the encounter that they've been able to make with Jesus, and I think that's the key for bringing people back and understanding why they come to church is having an encounter with Jesus uh, through the sacraments, through prayer. And that's what these kids have done. And uh, my hope is that out of these 16, uh, you know, we're going to see them next year when they uh, get confirmed, when they don't have to be there for religious ed any longer. Um, so the smallness, uh, the intimacy that we can have with a small group of people, I've been very excited about what has come out of um, this situation in terms of COVID and having to downsize, but it, it may have been for, for, the, for, the, for the better um, when, I, when we really look at it. I mean, that's, that's great. We're talking about smaller church, um, more engaged. These are all good things when we're inside the walls, right? And then we step out into the real world and it kind of smacks us in the face again. So uh, Joe, Jordan, obviously uh, the guys from God and Country. Um, we'll go back to that. Uh, so Joe and Jordan, the guys from God and Country. Uh, I, I'm going to, because you know, this is kind of a cultural question that I'm going to be asking you guys is, again, it's nice inside the walls when we step out into the real world. They remind us that, you know, church isn't necessary or even church can be a bad thing. Having a faith is a bad thing. So I guess my question to you guys is, you know, if, if we, let's say that we do want to stand up, Joe, how do we fight how do we fight the culture that's out there in the secular world that we're looking at? Well, that's a great question, Lorenz. Uh, before I go into that, I want to talk a little bit about kind of still being in the walls so, and having a smaller presence. And this kind of leads into how we can uh, take a stand outside of, of the walls of the church. So about a year back, I think it was December 2019, uh, before COVID started, uh, Jordan uh, and I and another friend of ours went to a Catholic underground in the city run by the, uh, was it Fran uh, Franciscan Friars of the Renewal? Yep. So what they do there, if, if no one's ever gone, it's, it's kind of like a, a huge uh, event where they start with Eucharistic adoration in the church. They do night prayer, I think. And it's just, it's inspiring for someone our age because like, in all honesty, when you go to church at your local parish, you walk in there and there is no one else your age there. Like if there's three or four people your age there, you're like, wow, these people exist. So when you go there and everyone there is your age, you're like, wow, like these people exist and I'm not alone. So the fact of not being alone is powerful enough 
But then afterwards, they have like a, the the friars play a, a music. They they have a little band, and it's like this crazy fellowship. And it's like that's inspiring. After that, to then take your faith and move on to the culture and say. I'm not alone. I'm not going to, yeah, I might get uh, like attacked by someone I know that because I do this, but there are other people behind me. I'm not alone. I'm, I'm going to be able to, to move on past this. So that it's, it's a courage thing too, because it's, there's a lot of uh, discouraging things um, that could happen. But so you're talking about the, essentially the importance of, Again, I, th- I think we said it last episode, surrounding yourself by like-minded people and how important that is to, if you don't already, find your community because you're going to need each other and there's so much power in community and and I, I think that's a great point, but you were going to say something else, guys. Yeah, uh, Joe's talking about a, a great experience in adoration. I was talking to Father Brian about this the other day. We were talking about just kind of like evangelization in general and how when it comes down to it, I mean, obviously, we have the regulars that are going to be coming to things like holy hours and things like that. But when it comes down to it, we, in order to be successfully evangelizing, we have to give our best. Like, we have to give all that we have because, you know, we may have one chance with these people to open them up to this encounter that, that Mike talked about a little bit, to open their hearts up to God. We we really could have one chance at this. So if we're not giving them all the best things that we have in terms of everything from music to the setting to, you know, everything in between, we, we have one chance. And if we don't get it right, um, and we kind of go to what the article talks about, like a lukewarm where we're kind of half in, half out. If we're not giving it all we have, then someone might really have a, a poor experience and, and that door could be closed for good. You know, one bad experience could turn a person away forever. So I think the more that we focus on doing things really well, really thought out um, in the church, um, and, and just really authentically Catholic, um, I, I think the better that we'll be. So, yeah, I, I love that because it's, there are so many aspects of our culture today I mean, the way I was phrasing it before is culture bad, us good. <laughs> but there's so many aspects of the culture today that, that that we should be moving forward with, like finding some great music. I mean, there's some great people don't know, but there's some great Catholic hip hop music out there, right? So it's it's taking these portions of the culture and, and and trying to transition them to our faith because there are some things that we really shouldn't fight. Obviously, there are a lot of things that we should be fighting. Uh, to your point, though, Jordan, I think one of the most important things that we need to do, um, especially, I mean, look, look at us, like, trying to host podcasts and put information out there. One of the biggest things that uh, I try to say to myself, and I... I I need to remind myself more often than not is that if I'm going to bring somebody closer to the church and closer to Jesus Christ, it's not going to be by my efforts. It's going to be God working through me. These are the kinds of things that if you are looking to evangelize, if we are trying to evangelize, we're not going to be able to do that alone. And we need God's grace to be able to do it. Yeah, exactly. Lawrence. So, uh, to kind of counter that a little bit with, with the little, with your, uh, Catholic hip hop reference, <laughs> I, I, don't, think, I, don't, uh, I mean, I don't listen to it, but I hear that there's great <laughs> Catholic hip-hop music out there. 
Yeah, so uh, talking about that, I think I think it's important that we also know our place <laughs> in the sense that we are never going to beat out Kanye West when it comes to hip-hop, okay? We're not going to beat out, you know, Lady Gaga or whoever it may be when it comes to music. There's great music, and we can offer it, but we can't make that the center of the thing. We can't make the Sunday experience, oh, like I'm going to see whatever sing today. Like, there, there, there's, it's Jesus. Like, people have to come for Jesus. And we can bring, give them great music, which helps, and we do that, I think. But we also have to remember, they're coming for him, and that's the important thing. I wasn't even going to try to name current artists right now, and that's how disconnected I am from the current culture. So, Well, I think, Joe, to kind of counter what you're saying, they, they should be coming for Jesus, absolutely. But the whole thing with evangelization, I think, is sometimes they may not know what, what they're going for. And it's a good opportunity that allows Jesus to really work through them. Lorenz, you said like working in their hearts. So, you know, someone might be coming to something completely blind. They may not be Catholic. They may have kind of fallen away from the church. Um, so with, with all the right things in place, yeah, they may not know exactly why they're there. But if we can put everything in place correctly, the hope and the prayer is that the Lord will work through them to, you know, open up their heart. One, one last thing. And then, and then, and then uh, I'm going to go to you, Sean, but it's, it's funny. We're not only just competing with secular music or secular culture, because if we make it about the music and not about Jesus, we might lose that parishioner to a non-denominational Christian church up the road who may be doing it a little bit better. So it's not just secular we're we're competing against. It's other forms of Christianity that we're quote unquote competing against. If I can comment on Kanye West quickly, um, it's actually pretty cool that Kanye put out an album called Jesus is King, and it was the number one album for like months. And it's clear some there are uh, tons of people who respond to something like that. You know, like even if it's not Catholic, even if it's not Orthodox, it is like, oh, these songs are about like worshiping God and recognizing himself as a sinner. And people, and you know, it's it's dressed up in hip hop music and maybe curse words and all this different stuff. But people are are attracted to it and drawn to it, and they're playing it on repeat on their Spotify playlists on their phones. And um, it's it's pretty amazing that that's something that's happening. And you know, well, it was 2020 at the time, I guess. Well. Again, talking about number ones, one of the number, no, the number one podcast for a good amount of time in 2021, Bible in a Year by Father Mike Schmidt. So, so it was God and country. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's number three behind just a parishioner. Shameless plugs. Um, but yeah, Bible in a Year by Father Mike Schmitz was the number one podcast for a good amount of time in 2021. So we painted a hopeless picture uh, in the last episode. There is some hope. That, you know, with what we're talking about, I think there is hope. Uh, just got to stay strong. Uh, got to be um, brave enough to be able to do it as well. Um, if if I could ask you, Sean, a real quick question, because because again, the, the podcast that we host is just a parishioner. I want to ask you what we can be doing as parishioners within our own homes um, to to try to stop the bleeding. Because I think the majority of our listeners uh, do not hold positions within the church. I think they are your everyday parishioners. So what are some practical things that we can do in our own homes, um, whether you're 20, whether you're 60? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I have two thoughts. The first one is just being authentic. I mean, just living out your faith and, and 
not being hypocritical about it, you know, like go to church on Sunday and then come back on Monday and keep being Catholic and keep acting like it, you know, that's it's huge because like you said, it's God working through you and it's people observing your actions. And they, if people are seeing Christ when they see you, then that's going to change their lives. That's going to, that's going to increase their faith a hundredfold, you know? Um, secondly, there's a, a quote from, um, St. Paul in one of his epistles where he's talking about the good news. And he says, I proclaim the good news constantly and woe to me if I don't. He's this whole idea of evangelization and the Greek word for that, where evangelization comes from is you, uh, you evangelion, which stands for good news. And originally it's what like Roman emperors would send these essentially preachers out ahead of an army after they had a successful battle and they were evangelizers and they went out into the towns and proclaimed the good news of the battle that was won. And Christians co-opted the term when, you know, uh, they started evangelizing the culture and they went out and proclaimed the battle that Christ had won for all of us and all of our souls. That's something that all of us can do in our own ways in our lives. Uh, like you said, it doesn't have to be the person on the soapbox. It doesn't have to be the person on the street corner handing out flyers or shouting into a microphone. It's you in your family inviting people to do things with you that have to do with faith. If you're a parent, making sure that you were praying with your children before meals, before they go to bed, when they wake up in the morning, talking about what they're grateful for. If you are a teenager, I mean, I saw it with myself in college when I started getting more involved in my campus ministry. And, and since then, you know, at, when I'm at home, I'm usually the one leading prayer at meals because my parents know it's very important important to them. But at the same time, they started going to mass every Sunday as it became more important to me. Whereas they might've been like, you know, miss one once every three weeks or something like that, you know? So everybody can be doing something. If you're among your friend groups, not being bashful about talking about why your faith is so important to you, not being bashful about talking about how Jesus is the center of everything that you do. And that's why you live the, your life the way that you do people won't always agree with it and people will question it and it can trigger some really great conversations that may lead to nothing else, but them hearing somebody talk about Jesus when they will hear nobody talk about that for months or years at a time in their lives otherwise. So, I, I mean, when we're talking about proclaiming the good news and talking about the battle that was won, we're, we're in the midst of the battle here in the culture we're in, in the world we're in, but it's always been like that. We're, it, I mean, in the Bible, it's the, the world here is described as Satan's kingdom, you know, and Jesus came and took it over and defeated Satan ultimately, but he's still here and he's still, you know, ruling a lot of people's hearts and he's trying to rule all of ours. But it's up to us to, to continue to put our faith in Christ and to continue to preach that in our lives, whether verbally or otherwise, to, to everybody in our lives. Ultimately, we're responsible for our own souls, but we want to bring as many people as we can to heaven with us. So uh, a very, very uh, cool thing that happened is a colleague came up to me because we started the podcast, a colleague came up to me and said, Hey, just a parishioner. That's you. Right. And I said, yeah, it is. And he just opened up to me about how he received his sacraments in September. He goes to a church here in long Island. He brings his daughters and it's a conversation I've never had with him. So, you know, one thing that I say is people aren't going, aren't willing to talk to you about your faith unless they know that you're willing to talk about it. Mm. Right. So if you, if they don't know you're willing to talk about it, they might, they might see it as a non thing in your life. Um, but Jordan, I'm going to go to you because you and I were talking a little earlier today about, you know, 
these heroic actions, um, you know, things that are needed. Now, to quote Michael Scott, is talking about does talking about Jesus Christ make me a hero? Well, yes, yes, it does. But uh, in, in all seriousness, like, what what are some of these? Uh, you you could actually phrase a little bit better what uh, John Paul II was saying. There we go. Um, yeah, John Paul II, I talked about him in the last episode too. Um, he was so popular among the young people in particular, um, but really among all Catholics as the Pope. Um, and he was, he was big on this idea of being authentically Catholic. Um, and, and that's how we, his, his basic argument was like, that's how we, we, uh, counteract the times. Um, he, he would say that young people, um, that's what they're searching for. They're searching for, uh, love and, and something authentic, something true. They don't want something lukewarm, um, in a society where it's hard enough to be Catholic, to be a faithful Catholic. You know, we don't want something that's like, Oh, we don't, we don't want to be half in. If, if we're going to be in, we're going to be all in. Um, and I think that's where this whole thing of like authenticity comes in, where we have to practice what we preach. We have to be heroic. You think of um, people like him, his story, John Paul. I mean, he grew up during the time of the Nazis, heavily persecuted against um, when he was in, in the seminary in 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 Poland, he had to dress up. I think he had to dress up as a priest. Like he couldn't be in regular clothes around the, um, just around in, in the seminary, because if, if the Nazis saw him, they would, they would have killed him. Um, so things like that, like we can't stop what we're doing. We have to continue what we're doing, maybe adjust what we're doing, but we have to be heroic about it. Like we can't just give up our faith. Um, even if the culture is against it. And that's great because, you know, if we're going to do that, I think it's important to find these role models, right? I mean, I picked my confirmation name just because I thought it sounded cool, Aloysius. Yeah, that was a cool name boat. to pick. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't really know much about him. Yeah. But I think finding these role models, especially in these scenes, you know, JP2, Mother Teresa, uh, I mean, this is the year of St. Joseph. I think that's extremely important to do. Absolutely. And I don't know who said it. Someone said it, but it's really true um, that saints are born in times of distress and in times of hardship. You know, I said it. <laughs> I'm sure you've said it several times in several homilies. Uh, but I, I think it's so true, right? In, in times of distress, you know, when we, when we were locked in our houses uh, in, in March and April and May, there's not much to do. It's, it's so quiet. It's so lonely. And, and that is how we, um, that's a lot of times how we, how we hear God, like in the silence. Um, and in these times of distress, as I was saying, you know, that's when these saints are, are born. That's when God is, is working through people um, to ultimately bring them closer to him. That's great. Uh, so we went over a lot of things in regards to what we think our calls to action would be, things that we could change in our own lives to help, you know, stop the bleeding, you know, talk about things about being brave, uh, open to talking about your faith, things like that. But, but Father, I'm, I'm curious your input on all this of if there's anything that we may have missed in regards to how we try to stop the bleeding from the church's perspective, from individuals. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, it's probably just a variation of what you guys have already said. Um, 
you know, if you were, maybe I'm kind of respond with maybe initially a question. If you were at work, a non-church job, you know, you're wherever you work. And if uh, somebody, you know, at lunch or wherever said to you, yeah, you know, my, uh, my mom is not doing well and um, she's, she's real sick and it doesn't look good. You know, would you ever say, um, I'll say a prayer for her, like in that setting, like completely secular place. Would you ever say, like, yeah, what, what's her name? Uh, I'll say a prayer for her. Um, something as simple as that, like, kind of in the kitchen when you were talking about this, like, uh, not being bashful, like, coming out of our uh, uh, comfort zones. Like, uh, and, it's, and it's kind of your point about the guy at work with the podcast. Like, you, you kind of were public about your faith through this. He catches, hears about it which opens up a door for you guys to have a conversation, which you probably never would have had without you being public about your faith. And I was thinking about, uh, I've heard a number of people talk about during COVID, especially early on when there was no mass, no public masses, and we we were uh, live streaming, and people were at home in their living room with their families, and it was sort of like this, awkward thing like okay are we gonna are we gonna respond to the prayers or are we just gonna be a spectator are we gonna when it's time to kneel down should we get on our get off the couch and put the cup of coffee down and get on our knees um and like you know teenage siblings looking at each other thinking this is a little weird and it was kind of uncomfortable but i'd say good uncomfortable or like just Pushing the envelope, even with things like that, like how far into your house do you have to go before somebody would know that you're a Christian? Like is the crucifix over your bed in your room, which is great, but like, is there anything down, you know, on the first floor, which might, you know, and I'm not saying have like a eight foot crucifix in your living room and look like a crazy, crazy Jesus person, but you know, like this is, this is who, this is a part of who I am and you know, I think it opens doors. Um, I think COVID, you know, there was a public, then, we, then when we started going outside, we had public uh, masses, out, uh, outdoor masses, same thing. Like it was a little bit of a, well, people are seeing me in this, you know, as cars are flying by on Park Avenue, they're seeing me, whatever, I see other people at church. So the comfort zone thing, like push it a bit. And I think we realize in almost every case, man, this wasn't, I shouldn't have been so hesitant. And it opens doors. I'm going to take down my eight foot crucifix in the house now, <laughs> but um, some great advice and, and not just from you, Father Brian, from everybody on the panel. And then you, you really, I think we've put some thought into it. And honestly, it the nights like this, um, I'm reflecting on my own life and things I can do also, because again, for most of our listeners, if you're listening, we're, we're going through a lot of these daily struggles as well, because sure, I'm doing a podcast, but definitely throughout my day, there are times I, I kind of shy away of making it known that, you know, I'm a Catholic and, and, and it happens. But, you know, uh, t- to your point, guys, we, we need to just step it up because if we're not going to, who will? Um, 
let's go into the question and ag- answer segment. We've got actually some really good questions that'll spark up a little bit more discussion. Uh, based on what we were talking about, if you have a question, one last time, you could text that father. Uh, you could text that question to Father Brian's personal cell phone. That phone number. You can text it to 516-715-7351. Again, that number to text is 516-715-7351. We might not get uh, get to all the questions, but again, I kind of want to do this podcast of questions from the listeners who are listening to this podcast. So if you're listening... Text a question in 516-715-7351. Uh, the first question that I, I'm, I'm going to pose here was, was the culture of the 40s, 1940s and 1950s were the mass, oh, or, was the culture of the 1940s and 1950s where more people were going to mass, were they better off in terms of salvation? That's a question that Anybody can answer. So uh, it's a good one, though. More people were going to mass in the 1940s and 1950s, but did that mean that they were better off from a a salvation perspective? I uh, I'm teaching uh, right now in in history class about the Middle Ages, and something similar like to that question came up where in in Europe in the Middle Ages everyone was Catholic from the king to the the poorest peasant, and we kind of had a similar debate to this question in class, like we're was people better off in the Middle Ages when they everyone was going to Mass, everyone was learning prayers, um, and it was just such a part of your life every single day. And the kids had interesting responses. Some said, yeah, because, you know, uh, Mr. Griffin, I don't go to church uh, with my family uh, really anymore, or um, people don't learn how to pray anymore like they did back then. And uh, people were, the kids were per- perceptive into that realm, but also some kids were like, I, I don't know if it was as good because people didn't really have a choice. They were going just out of um, this kind of blindly being led and they didn't, weren't really sure why they were there. They were uneducated um, and they didn't know all the teachings. They just went because it was the cultural thing to do. And I, I think we can compare that to the 1940s and 50s where I think the root of the problem today is stemmed from you know, the early 20th century where you know, the church was a powerhouse um, in society but were people going because they truly believed or was it just cultural? Um, I know, Father Brown, you mentioned kind of in your homilies, um, your six-minute homilies usually, about how just, you know, were things better back back then? Do you, are you not going to respond because I said six-minute homily? <laughs> six-minute intro. <laughs> can, I, can I slide in and say something? I, I'm curious because Father Brian took too long. Um, I'm curious about the concept of reliance on God because you're talking like middle ages and then up to the 1940s. But when you think about like the early 1900s, like things like cars and refrigerators were like really barely out there yet. Right. Like they had like ice boxes for refrigerators in a lot of places, unless you're maybe in a city or something. And you know, a lot of people, if you lived far away from a city, you probably still farmed to some degree or hunted some of your food maybe. And you go back even further than that. And that just becomes truer and truer to a larger degree. And there's, there was more potentially of a, a greater reliance on God for your everyday life where you, you struggled and you suffered a lot more than we do today, just by matter of convenience and matter of, you know, uh, new technology and, and new mass production and manufacturing and things like that. Like, thank God for all the blessings we have. Thank God people aren't dying of polio and smallpox and all that stuff anymore. But 
there was a lot more probably difficult things existentially to deal with when you were, you know, a, uh, trying to raise a family in 1815 compared to, you know, 2021. Uh, so that being said, I'm, I'm curious, like, even if they didn't have all of the, the teachings and everything, it's like, okay, well, they didn't know maybe about like the transubstantiation going on. You think they probably did believe that it was Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Maybe they didn't know the technical terms or whatever, but um, they also went home and they prayed that God was going to, you know, put food on their table the next day. And that's something that maybe we've lost a whole lot of in culture now. I mean, I think that's why during Lent, we're still supposed to put ourselves through voluntary struggles because it, it forces us to rely on God for things that we normally comfort ourselves with. I think, I mean, my perspective on it is, you're talking about reliance. I mean, one of the things about reliance, like that, you know, reliance is, is technology today, right? And for every great podcast, like Just a Parishioner, God and Country, and Beach Catholic, for every great podcast out there, or Virtual Mass, for every phenomenal thing that bring that can bring people closer to faith, there are 20 things that'll drive them the other way. Right. I didn't come up with this, but I, I heard this on another podcast. But he said, if we could talk to the saints, you know, the late saints, for them to tell us how difficult it is to be a person with access to pornography, the, the way that they do today, they, they, they're probably turning over in their graves and they're saying, I don't know how you're getting through that, that society, because that is short of a pandemic, essentially. But that's essentially what it is. Apps that are, that are geared towards fornication did not exist decades ago. So yeah, technology is great when, when you're able to access things of faith. But like I said, there's a lot of things that drive us further away from it as a society. Great point, Lorenz. Uh, I think you could also kind of look at uh, like the whole false gods thing like obviously like we can't let false gods get in the way of god um but even things that like maybe aren't even false gods but just things that kind of clutter our lives and just get in the way um i don't know i'm thinking like father brian always talks about it in his homilies like the sunday morning like soccer games or things like yeah maybe they're not false gods. Maybe they don't dominate our lives, but you know, maybe they, they do kind of clutter it up too much and maybe they, they, they get in the way of what's really important. Um, and things like that. I think that is what gets in the way that that's what kind of takes us away from the reliance on God because there's so many other things. Um, and again, I'm not saying that these things are necessarily false gods. They're not necessarily bad things. But they can get in the way. They can clutter things and ultimately kind of take our eyes off the prize a little bit. Yeah, I don't think we were ever going to come to an answer to this question, but I think it was a great discussion to, to, to have, um, right? Like what's, what's more distracting from God, uh, a soccer game or... 
fear of hunger. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but if, if nobody else had anything to add, we can move on to the next one. Right. Uh, the next question is if we had to pick one area for the church to focus on, what would that be? I'm assuming in context of, uh, stopping the bleeding in regards to a declining church. Um, so again, that question, if we had to pick one area for the church to focus on, what do you guys think that would be? You know, I, whenever I'm talking to, uh, certainly the, the, this parish, um, staff down here, um, and just the people who are interested in church, uh, I'm, o- I always find myself pushing just the idea of it's all about Sunday. Um, uh, the church does lots of things, um, we're in a in this parish hall right now, which you know six hours ago there was a, a soup kitchen going on, and right next around the hallway there's a food pantry, and you know there's so many so many great things that the church does, and a couple of miles west there's a there's a great Catholic school, and um, but kind of ultimately like they're all offshoots of I think what, what we are most fundamentally, and as people of sacrament and. More specifically, it's it's the it's the weekend, it's the it's the the Sunday experience. So, like our, what should we what should we commit most to? I think is making that experience. That's where the v- absolute majority of people show up. They're not normally here on a Thursday night or a Tuesday morning. The majority, the majority, or between a you know what is it a twenty four hour or a little more than that period. That's where they are. So, committing ourselves to the the experience of, of the mass. I think theologically, that's correct. And on just on an evangelical level, that's the most important thing. You know, we used to, you know, when I used to do camp, I was involved in campus ministry, uh, a couple of colleges and universities, and used to say, "Listen, we got to get them. We got to get them to church. If we can get them to mass on Sunday, then we'll talk about retreats and service trips." like these additional things, but they're not going to do those things if they're not kind of faith connected. So, you know, feed them with the Eucharist and then, and then they're going to, then they're going to run wild. So the weekend Sundays. For me. So anybody else, uh, one area for the church to focus on thoughts? Uh, just to add on to the Sundays, I think, yes, like 100% get people in, in the pews on Sundays, but more than anything, and especially for, I mean, for, for all the, you know, blessed people here tonight, but also uh, for, for everybody listening, obviously you're faith connected enough that you're either here on a Thursday night, on a rainy night to listen to this conversation, or you're tuning into a Catholic podcast to listen to this. When you're in church, just like smile at the person next to you. I mean, with the masks on, it might be a little tough, but um, like say hello, introduce yourself, get to know the people next to you in the pews. I mean, I'm not always the best at this myself, so I know I'm I'm being a little hypocritical right now uh, sometimes, but I try to go out of my way as much as I can. When I, you know, like uh, Joe or Jordan mentioned, like when you see another young person, like for me, it's like, all right, there's another guy who looks like he's probably in his early 30s. Let me go say hello to him, you know, or just anybody who's near me, just share a little bit about who you are so that next time you see them, you can say, oh, what's up, Frank? Hey, nice, nice to see you, Michelle, you know? Like that's how communities get started. And when, when the church is contracting the way it is, we really need that. We need these people around us that we know and can grow to trust and ultimately to love and, and to know that we're all on the same pursuit of Christ together. I, uh, I, I do agree about the Sunday experience and, and getting people to mass, but um, 
for me, like if I told one of my friends who aren't going to church and I said, I'm going to bring you to uh, the parish that's near my house and I got them in the door, they're sitting next to me. We went to mass. Um, I think after the mass, if it's they're there and the music isn't great and the homily's not good, they're, they're going to be bored and they're going to just be like, yeah, Mike, this is, this is why I don't go. I don't get anything out of it. Um, I think there needs to be more of um, a personal invitation to, to an encounter with God even before. I think mass is the end point, in my opinion. I think that's where we try to get people to when they're fully committed, they're going to be here every week. Um, I think we need to in- encounter the people first. I think we need to invite people in um, and that personal invitation first and have them encounter Jesus before we just say, come to mass. If we bring them down here, you know, I think, and again, not to toot our own horn, but I think the three parishes, much because of what Father Brian has done here, is, is ahead of the game in most parishes. But I think we're being a little naive if we think that this is being done everywhere, where the preaching is good, the music is good. If you just tell someone, oh, we'll just go to your local parish, they go there and it's like they're sleeping, you know, 20 minutes in because it's just... It's just poorly. It's poorly done, and people aren't in the churches, and it hasn't changed there. Well, I think I guess what would, would have to be presumed in my point, which was was I think what maybe Jordan you were saying before. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, it, it's it's got to be well done. It, it it needs to be what it deserves. Um, forget you know in the diocese here, maybe about ten or twelve years ago, there was a big push. One Pentecost, this diocesan wide kind of blitz to. Um, get people uh, to, to evangelization. And, and the big thing was, what they came up with was, you got to invite somebody to church. And I remember thinking, well, just your point, Mike. Well, it depends on what church you invite them to because you might almost do more harm than good if it's, you know, if it's just, if it's not a uh, reverent and engaging experience. So yeah, it's got to be good. I mean, it's got good isn't even the right word. It's got to be what it deserves. I mean, Lorenz mentioned the Eucharist before. Like, I think that's one of the biggest areas where we need to teach the people is like, we go because of the Eucharist. I don't care if you don't, you can't even understand if it's in a different language, uh, the, the, the mass, it doesn't matter. I'm there, I'm there for the Eucharist. And I think that's a, a major area that needs to be, uh, taught and people need to encounter the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist to get them back. So I'm going to integrate one other question we got tonight into this one, right? So the question is, if we had to pick one area for the church to focus on, what would that be? Uh, I think this listener question actually resonates with some people who have responded to a survey that you sent out, Mike. Um, and and the, I think the, an, the, answer, or they, the answer they would have is that the church needs to be more inclusive, Right. And so it's a very uh, gray area word. Um, You know, you know, this uh, listener said, you know, how can we help the LGBT community feel more connected to the church and their families? Uh, But you could also say that uh, about I, I saw another question in regards to how can the church be more inclusive to me because I got a divorce? Uh, I saw that question arise. Um, I saw questions arise from how can the church be more inclusive, um, you know, to, oh, it was out to those uh, who have had abortions in the past. So, uh, but this question in particular, right, more inclusive, how, how can we help the LGBT community feel more connected to the church? So that and, and, and inclusivity altogether. But uh, I actually want to go to Father Brian uh, on, on this question. You know, we, uh, 
a couple of we we have these um, evenings called uh, God's Not Dead. They're kind of these public nights um, when uh, we we talk about. I guess the, the premise of the you know, the hope of these nights, or the, these God's Not Dead nights, is uh, to give people kind of the tools um, to help them go back and talk to the people in their lives who are not very church connected. Um, arguments, you know, growing kind of this creeping atheistic thing in our culture. What do you do when your kid says, I don't believe in God anymore? You're not sure what to say. You can't believe they just said it. So the hope of those nights is to to kind of arm, in a sense, uh, inform people to bring it to bring it back home or to work or wherever. Um, they're great nights and very well attended. And uh, but we something I think we realized after maybe the second or third one when you like you pretty much almost any time we kind of gather in the name of the church uh, and people have the opportunity to ask questions, like expect that question. Like it's gonna be brought up. You know, you might be talking about something completely unrelated to, you know, the moral teaching of the church or sexuality. It's gonna, somehow it's gonna make its way there. So, um, well, I think it was just it was a good thing for us to kind of be, be like, yeah, you're right. We really need to... Um, try to be articulate in, in, in how we respond to it. Um, I guess a uh, couple of just quick, quick responses would be the church is about, the church is ultimately, I think ultimately the church is about Christ. It's about, it's the vehicle that God gave us to help us get to him and to his son and to the spirit. Um, that's what, why we have a church. Now, it's like a pyramid. That's the top of it. You know, it, why it, it extends and there's all different aspects of what that means. When we encounter God, when we develop a relationship with Christ, then there's a, a corresponding life. You know, the, okay, well, what, what does a Christian life mean? You have, you have moral theology then and, you know, uh, teachings about how we're supposed to live a, you know, an authentic life. So, it's, it's more than knowing Christ, but if we're not talking about Christ, then something's very wrong. Um, and, I'm, and I think this is unfortunate and really unfortunate. People, you know, uh, sexuality becomes, it's like uh, if you're out having a couple of drinks with somebody and, and church talk comes up, it almost always goes to sex, probably more than anything, you know, uh, and then, and some of the other, you know, uh, examples you gave Lorenz and I'm not, this isn't a way of dodging it. Um, it's just sort of to begin with, like the church is about way more than sex. Like it's, it's about a relationship with Christ. And I think when we build and develop and nurture that relationship, our perspective on teachings often changes because it becomes more informed. Um, I'm not saying if, well, if I get to know Jesus really well, I'm going to change all of my beliefs um, and I'm going to embrace everything that the church says um, overnight. But I do think there is some of that happens. Um, I think when you, the more we, you, you walk into it, you develop a relationship with Christ you come to understand the God of, of, of scripture, you know, the God of, you know, salvation history, you know, the God of creation, which we, which are kind of like foundate principles, which lead us to the teachings that we've got, you know, the rules we have, and sometimes the hot button issues. Um, 
I think a lot of times people are not, they don't really understand what the church in fact teaches. Yeah, they just got like, you know, CNN's 42nd summary of what the church says about gay marriage or abortion or what, you know, whatever it might be. And I'm not saying like they, they've got it wrong. I'm just saying it's, it's a, it's a, it's like this crazy summary. There's so much more to it. So I guess I would say to the person and to the people who feel seriously uh, unwelcome, disconnected from the church, um, first point I would make is, yeah, but how are you with Christ? How are you with God? Because in order to, in order to get good with Christ, like, I think we need the church. I mean, maybe not, I mean, you can have encounter Christ without the church, but the church is an enormous piece to this. So, and that's the most important thing. I think on a practical level, um, don't just listen to what CNN says. Um, I would seek out church people. I would personalize it. I'd make it one-on-one. I'd say, can I, make an, can, I, can I make an appointment with somebody who I think I, I think I respect this person. I think he or she has got something to say on this. They've got knowledge on what the church in fact says. So make it personal. Um, I would bet, certainly in, in case, after that, um, in some cases, people's perspectives change. Am I saying people are going to leave completely changed on, have they, will they change their opinions? You know, no. I mean, I do think some will with a, with a more formed conscience. I think some ultimately, I certainly won't. Um, and, then I, and then I guess maybe, you know, to some extent, it's like the person has to say, okay, do I, a little bit like we said before about, you know, uh, do, you, do you walk away from your family, you know, your 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 country because you don't agree with everything it says. It says, um, yeah, so that'd be a, at least part of a response. That's great. Uh, so we're, we're going to jump into one last question. We only have a couple of more minutes left before we close out. Um, but the question was sent in from that survey, Mike, um, and it came up in the responses, and albeit probably with a sense of sarcasm. Um, and the, the question was, is it my responsibility to save the church? I'm going to answer yes, but if anybody wanted to jump in and give their thoughts as to why that is, and uh, that'll be the final question for the night. So again, is it my responsibility to save the church? Um, my response would be yes from at every level, regardless of who you are listening. Um, like the Pope, I know he listens to this. So yes, the answer is yes. But if anybody wanted to chime in uh, for, for, for that final question for the night, is it my responsibility to save the church? Uh, yes, uh, it is. It's your responsibility and it's your responsibility and it's everyone's responsibility. Like it's a team effort. It's not one person. Um, yes, it, it's, it's everyone's responsibility. That's the best I got. I, I think that's, uh, that's where I, I, I think the church, why we are where we are is because people, um, have just blamed the church for where we're at. And yes, has the church been corrupt in its history and made mistakes? And of course, the abuse scandal comes up. And of course, there's things the church has done wrong. 
in its history, absolutely. But people are very quick to just blame the church and not look uh, at themselves. Um, what does Jesus say in the gospel? Take the, the beam out of your eye before you uh, criticize someone for the, the splinter in their own. Um, I think when we look at um, conversations that I've had with, with family members is like, oh, I can't believe like this priest is just he's just such a bad preacher and he, he doesn't seem to care. He's not a people person. He doesn't connect with anyone. He doesn't hang out around after mass. And this is pre COVID. Um, people are very quick to say, you know, there's not enough priests and the priests, uh, I can't understand them or whatever it might be. The complaint would be about the priest, the priest, the priest. And uh, part of me has come to realize, cause someone said it to me once is like, what, what are you doing in your church? And yes, uh, oh, I pray, which is great. Well, I, I volunteer when I can. That's great. But are you talking to people about the message of Jesus? Are you, um, are you actively thinking, how can I spread the good news to people around me in my life? And I don't do a good enough job. And I know that. And I think everyone needs to kind of look at themselves and say, we can't just keep blaming the church and the priests for the problems um, of the church. And the fact is, there's going to be less priests, there's going to be less churches, and it's going to be on the lay people to really come together and say, I want to spread the truth about Jesus and the message of his love and sacrifice for us and the salvation we can get when we give our lives to him. Well said, Mike. We need to, yes, we need to hold our country accountable, our political leaders accountable. We need to hold our church accountable, but before we do that, do some self-reflection, like you said, and are we holding ourselves accountable? Um, to your point, you know, I know I don't, so I think that's something we all need to do a little bit more. Um, but guys, once again, thank you so much. Um, audience, thank you so much for staying through. I know that it's been a long night, but I hope you found some value in, in the discussion that we had tonight. Uh, before we leave and before we close out, Father, if you want to uh, close us out in prayer before the night's done. Sure. Uh, well, we're kind of in between um, the feast days of a couple of great saints of our church, um, Patrick yesterday and um, Joseph in a, in a few days. Uh, let us pray. Let's pray. Um, maybe a prayer of thanksgiving for the great examples of faith in our own lives, the people that have inspired us to to be here and to be listening and to care, you know, maybe to be asking questions about the church and its value and its need in our lives. Um, let's pray to those great, the great saints, the saints of our, of our church to, for the courage and wisdom that we need to, um, to witness, to witness to, uh, God's truth. Give us the, uh, the wisdom to figure out what God wants and then the courage to, to act on it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you. I want to thank Joe, Jordan, Mike, Father Brian, Sean, everybody who came out tonight. 
Thank you to the listeners uh, for downloading this episode. Um, you know, again, the best way to stay up to date, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Just a Parishioner, uh, the Beach Catholic Podcast. And on that feed, you'll also find God and Country. If you have more questions or you just want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Just a Parishioner and at Beach Catholic. Or you could reach us on Facebook.com slash Just a Parishioner or BeachCatholic.com. Thank you guys for tuning in. Definitely appreciate it. We are praying for all of you. Please pray for us and pray for our church. That concludes our conversation about will Catholics ever return to Mass. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you listen to part one as well. And look out for our future episodes, our future parishioner profiles. Like, subscribe, leave a rating in the meantime, and we'll see you guys soon.